I am Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, everyone. Hip-hop by the numbers on Twitter. Use hip-hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I enter it to the fifth element. Well, I highlight the fifth element of hip-hop, which is knowledge. Oh, the decisions for this one. Peace! How low can you go? Death row? What a brother know? Once a bet, get yeah. this the incredible. incredible. Rhyme animal. The uncannibal. D-I-T-D. Public Enemy number one. Freeze! Bang! Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. We shouldn't have left you without a dope pod of step two, but, me- but Ben broke his mic because he's just such a such an animal, you know, just such a heavy-handed, very easily raged individual. A strong individual. Just, uh, just in a fitted, fit of rage, Destroyed just threw it. his mic down like a... Like a touchdown spike, and then he shattered. Yep, and then he threw it out the window, and then threw himself out the window, and then beat it up some more. Everyone was very worried about him on the street, on the local streets of Sydney. Um, but yes, we we have passed that. Ben has served is now serving uh, house arrest after vandalism, vandalism. and here we are. Hi, Ben. <laughs> As you weep, more this is interesting little story. Charlie, Charlie really went off piece with that one. <laughs> Gotta be credit somehow. <laughs> so we've got a couple of weeks worth of listening here, but thankfully I haven't listened to a lot. So you guys, you guys will be fine. Uh, actually, yeah, we didn't do that. We haven't talked about the Benny album, have we? We wouldn't have. No. You I- did on your YouTube. I did on my YouTube. <laughs> yes, I See, did I on did my that. YouTube. Got you. I got you, bro. I got you. <laughs> so let's just dive in. So Shane Noir dropped a uh, very, very solid, small little EP. Enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I'm very curious to see where Shane Noir goes this year. Um, but yeah, man, that was solid. Uh, Kevin Gaze dropped, and I tried to listen to it yesterday, and I did not enjoy it. And this might be the first Kevin Gaze project that I have not enjoyed. I... It just felt like he was trying to hit on contemporary sounds that were contemporary like two or three years ago. It sounded out of date. And this is from someone who, Kevin Gates to me, has never sounded out of date. Like, I've always considered Kevin Gates to be ahead of the fucking curve and, like, very influential and pushing the sound forward. This just felt like a regression. So it was a little bit disappointing from uh, Kevin Gates. I normally enjoy his projects a lot. Black Youngster dropped in his bangers on bangers on bangers, of course um marco polo and master ace dropped this is a great project because master ace in one of the tracks actually goes in and talks about what happened on that european tour when he was actually on tour with marco polo if you guys remember from our podcast uh he was suffering some very severe health issues and he's never really talked about them that much to be honest like in interviews uh he talks about them a little bit but like for him to go in and talk about how he I guess has synthesized that experience into his life now. Um, it was fascinating, man. It was really, really good. It was a positive album, some great storytelling. Skits are incredible, as always, Marco Polo and uh, Master Ace. Master Ace can have skits, man. He's going to have good skits. So I enjoyed that a lot. It was totally unexpected. I was not expecting to get a Marco Polo album. and uh, Sorry, Master Ace and Marco Polo album, but fuck yeah, man. Groundworks dropped. Um, there's some bangers on there, man. There's some bangers, some interesting tracks. It's just a bunch of... 
incredible UK MCs over some hardcore productions. So give that a spin if you want. Um, talk about the Lyrical Lemonade album, I guess. This album sucks. <laughs> this album's terrible. So when we were at the listening party, Benny's album came on and everyone was going bonkers, bro. Like, people were breaking their necks, just banging their head to that motherfucker. People dancing a little bit. I got a little bit of a two-step on. It was banger, man. It was, everyone was enjoying themselves. Lyrical Lemonade album came out. Everyone switched the fuck off, tuned out, started doing other things. People went outside to smoke. Everyone was talking. The only time I remember the Lyrical Lemonade album making any waves or, like, getting any recognition of, from people was when the Corday and Juice World song came on, because obviously that's an old Eminem beat, and when the Eminem song came on. But that was so funny because everyone was like, oh, what's it going to sound like? Is he going to have his choppy flow? That's why guys who are permanently online, okay, people who are in the real world are rational adults, and they're just like, yeah, Eminem's flow is shit. Like, how is this even a debate? He's been shit for a long time. So everyone was kind of like, oh, is he going to go back? And Like, what's it? And it came on, and for about three seconds, everyone was listening, and everyone's like, nah, this is shit, and stop listening again. So, bro, Lyrical Lemonade album is, that's, that is a rap caviar album. That is a focus group album. That is a fucking crowdsourced album. That is, what's, what's going to get us on the most playlists? Let's just do, it's, it's a firm no from me. Benny the Butcher dropped Everybody Can't Go. And, you know, if you've seen my YouTube, you will uh, know that I enjoyed it immensely. I thought it was a great record. I don't think it's anywhere near Plugs I Met, Tanner Talk 3. Um, I don't know what it is with Benny. Like, lyrically, he's just not hitting those levels. I don't know if he was just in some sort of, like, crazy creative streak on those records. But he's not gotten anywhere near close to those levels. Yes, spots or in his solo work since then. So I was kind of expecting this to be on that level or around that, but it's not. It's If I could categorize Benny's career in two, two sections, you know, his early career, 10 Talk 3, Plugs I Met, um, that's a whole other level, bro. This one is, you know, it's the best of his mid-career, but, like, it's still, it's not the greatest album of all time. It's, it's really solid. It's my favorite album of the year so far. But just lyrically, man, just that's the only problem I have with it um let's see what else dropped what dropped on friday because fuck man we've got two weeks worth here uh scale beats dropped a great little beat tape shout out scale beats if you guys haven't spun him yet just go go check out his page on spotify he's got some solid beat tapes i swear vezo dropped i enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot solid record lee scratch perry dropped this was a great fucking project man i suggest you all go spin this shit this one was all over the place i enjoyed it immensely it was incredibly experimental he was like just deconstructing songs at one point. It's just like, what more can this man do to this song? Like, I look, man, I enjoyed it immensely. It was it was a weird listen, but I enjoyed it. Mussolini dropped with thirty eight special. Special, I assume, is on uh, production. Uh, it was fire, man. I just, you know, I love special's production. I thought it was great. Hit Boy and the Alchemist dropped. They were rapping. They were going back and forth with each other. And you kind of remembered why they don't rap that much. <laughs> Look, I'm here for it, man. Like, I'm not against them, them rapping. I, I enjoy it in small doses. But, like, yeah, man, not maybe not, not across a whole project. I thought it was nice. I thought it was I, – I tweeted out and said it was the two best producers this decade coming together and rapping over each other's beats. That's what it felt like, man. It was, it was solid. Um, and that was it, yeah, I think. I also listened to Future Islands. Uh, if you guys know anything about Future Islands, a bit of an indie indie pop group. Unfortunately, they continue the indie pop trend of just going like maximal pop 
like annoyingly pop like let's fucking just go as loud and as poppy and as maroon five as we fucking can and it's like no stop fucking maroon five is not the blueprint for fuck's sake stop copying maroon five so uh it was a no from me anyway fucking hell that was a lot what about yourself charlie what'd you get into well i look forward to you listening to the rachel chinnery album uh coming soon which is uh, hopefully not that kind of indie pop um but yeah, all of my stuff I got into is from last week. I didn't really get into anything this week, nothing really to my fancy. Even the Lee Scratch Perry one I actually started listening to. Um, but it kind of just had this essence of, okay, he's dead now, let's just do stuff. And they just put like features on there, which, you know, if you like him, you like him. Um, but I just, I don't know, there's something... Uh, there's something impure about it. Maybe that's just me. I didn't know um, that. I didn't know it was posthumous. That's my bad entirely. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. It's just, it's just one, it's just one of those. I think I, I feel personally like if you listen to you know the upsetters and stuff like that from back in the day, it comes, it comes off as so different. But um, it has the hallmarks of a Lee Scratch Perry album. Obviously, the you know Godfather of dub reggae and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just the uh, the modernization was there for me and i don't know if i liked it or not that much to even talk about it but um yeah i'll stop listening halfway through but that's just me um yeah so shane noir colored chocolate that was like uh, what four tracks that was pretty solid could have easily been a whole 25 30 minutes uh didn't go off too long but yeah it was pretty good from what i was hearing um highly with two y's uh plus two four three nice little ep um that was a solid little project miles uh, life through new lens you if you <laughs> if ben if you look for some indie stuff here you go it's like random uh didn't even see it as uh india's at first and then it just kind of just dipped into it um halfway through i was just like okay interesting um code the friend lyrics to go volume five um still not vibing with this direction he's going in where like he he's he, he he constantly talks about like the same thing which again i'm not bothered about bothered about if you know if you're talking about the same stuff same subject matters um that's not my issue my issue is when like saying you know one song i'm you know i'm not bothered things just you know water off the duck's back kind of thing and then proceeds to just drop us whole song of him complaining about something in particular another cancel culture mention at some point and I don't know. Just again, it's it's the same with the uh, the work last year. It just it's fine. It's great. I love me some coat of the friend in general. Um, but it's just the the subject matter is like gets poisoned by these little gripes, and it just comes off as um, I don't know. It just comes off a bit petulant to me. Um, but anyway, it's a solid uh, little project nonetheless. And because it uh, because it skirts half an hour i don't know whether it's an album or an ep anymore um the lyrics to go series usually is like ep length 10 minutes not even that sometimes so this one's like 28 minutes or something so yeah great great to great to wonder what kind of project it is at that point um he's performing live here in uh london next month if anyone wants to go uh vic spencer and original super legend be double clip type love the album cover for this um uh, <laughs> reaffirming the uh, twenty year, uh, the twenty year theory, where you can now make jokes about nine eleven because it's been twenty over twenty years, and proceeds to make an album cover of Vic Spencer pointing to 
uh, the second plane hitting the tower. Um, absolutely uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, covered there. But yeah, I haven't listened to original Super Legend Beats uh, before. I love the name. It's just a great fucking name. Um, but yeah, no, I really like the beats. And uh, Vic Spencer, as usual, floated the fuck over them. Another Vic Green Thumbs um, uh, uh, cameo at some, uh, halfway through. That was good. Always enjoy that. And uh, yeah, man, another... another <laughs> Death Taxes and Vic Spencer dropping. That's where we're at, of course, as always. Uh, shout out to Vic. And lastly, Master Race Marco Polo, Richmond Hill. Um, yeah, I feel like this wasn't as... It wasn't as memorable for me. Maybe I need, need to give this another spin. I definitely will at some point in the year. Um, uh, compared to something... Compared to a Brooklyn story um, from a few years ago, which I really enjoyed and I felt was really super tight from the... Uh, from the, the the get-go and from you know what the whole story was about um, this one kind of felt a little bit looser in terms of um, uh, in terms of what the story was and how it was progressing um, yeah it was, it was it was it was cool I didn't mind it um, I feel like this needs to be another listen for me personally um, but yeah I really like the reference that you made um, on that in terms of him talking about what happened in Europe um, and interesting commentary on that front but yeah, man, really solid projects. Smile Race, Mar- uh, Marco Polo, can't go wrong. Uh, great little duo, very underrated from these uh, from the past few years of, you know, one MC, one producer duos. They've been they've done it a couple times now. Obviously, um, they go light. They go to do live shows together. And um, funny enough, the one time I did see Master Race, Marco Polo weren't there. Um, I think his uh, pops had a, a illness at that point. Um, but yeah, hopefully one day I get to see both. But anyway, it's, it's all good in the hood. And with that said, we get into um, a, a week late, uh, but we finally get into and finally beginning uh, part one of three public enemy retrospective. Obviously been a long time coming, always been, you know, just something, just sitting there for me personally, just sitting there. There's going to come a day where we're going to actually listen to all public enemy and I'm waiting for that day and we're finally here. Um, this one is probably the easiest out of the th- out of the three um, because we're gonna listen. Well, we're gonna uh, talk about the the top three in some ways, right? The just the the first three albums that you know the the one that laid down the foundation, and then the two out and out, not even just hip hop classics, music classics in the past fifty years, and um, yeah, and then obviously um, for the next uh, two weeks we'll get into. Um, obviously the kind of quote-unquote lesser-known projects, um, but, you know, I'm hoping, and here's my just, um, hope for the, for the, uh, for the next three weeks, is that I find stuff that is actually, you know, that is actually worthy of listening, because I don't feel like there's many, obviously apart from, like, you know, the Public Enemy diehards, which I'm sure there are a lot of these days, um, or, or a lot of, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of them these days, uh, in in the wings, just chilling, living their lives as probably middle-aged men these days. Um, but you know, I'm sure they still uh, keep in contact with what PE always doing. Um, they've had multiple uh, disputes and uh, uh, controversies over the years, and obviously we'll get into that as well. Um, but you know, the music's always stayed there. And uh, the music's always revolved um, around the voice of Chuck D, obviously, and the um, and the, the the iconography of things like the S1Ws and obviously Flavor Flav and 
um, and uh, Terminator X, and now more recently DJ Lord. Um, so you know, there's a lot of hallmarks to obviously touch on, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, yeah, just a lot of things <laughs> when it comes to Public Enemy uh, outside the music and obviously the music itself. Um, I think we've got about 15 projects, 14 projects in total to spin over the next. Uh, or that we are going to talk about over the next few weeks, and uh, yeah, so we'll get we'll get through them how we get through them, um, in the only way we can. So with that said, Ben, what have you got for us? The only way we can. So, <clears throat> Public Enemy. I've written all three pods, so I am at the end of my Public Enemy journey, and it has been it's been very interesting, man. It's been very interesting. So, <clears throat> Public Enemy were icons before icons existed in rap. The core group quickly grew to a whole stable of hip-hop artists, all of whom Chuck D credits often in interviews as being integral to the success of Public Enemy. He says no matter how large a collective got, it was a team effort, and Public Enemy was always seen as a collaborative group. So their earliest drops were so pivotal that they actually influenced Beastie Boys, who were originators themselves. Um, Chuck D speaks regularly of his experience coming up around the Beastie Boys and Rum DMC, and they have genuine creative connections. You know, they even flipped You Gotta Fight For Your Right To Party by dropping You Gotta Party For Your Right To Fight, which is a classic fucking flip. So Public Enemy was officially formed in 1985 after the duo of Chuck D and Flavor Flav met at university on Long Island. They took music very seriously. It was not just a hobby for them. And you got to remember that uh, Public Enemy were quite old when their, you know, debut project came out. I think Flav, I was watching an interview yesterday, I think he was 25, 24. So they were in their early to mid-20s before, you know, they really blew up. Now, Chuck D said in multiple interviews that they took their early recordings very seriously. He drops gems in interviews, bro. Like, you listen to 25 minutes, you realize you've learned nothing about Chuck D, but you've learned a lot about the world. Like, that was a that was a harsh lesson to learn about three hours into his Drink Champs interview, I'm like, I'm literally not learning anything about Chuck D, but I'm learning a lot about how he views the world, which is very interesting. So at the time when they first met, they were working casually at Chuck D's father's furniture business, and they spent long periods of time driving around the area and talking about and planning their music career. One thing is very important, though. They both seemed to decide very early that they wanted to build a collective rather than a duo or a trio or even a group. Chuck D calls it a collective in interviews, fondly, as well. He's often asking people to give equal credit to everyone in the group for the music that came out of that period. The duo regularly call PE a posse on wax, which is something that they proclaim with pride. It's important to remember that because PE is not just Chuck D and Flavor Flav, their influence is not limited to their studio albums. Public Enemy may have done more to influence the sound of the 80s and early 90s than any other collective, maybe except the Native Tongues, um... You know, maybe we could even discuss that one day because there are some massive, massively influential sounds of the 80s. Juice Crew, uh, Native Tongues, you know, we could BDP, we could actually do that. It would be very interesting. Um, <clears throat> and we're not just going to be talking about their albums in these three parters. So we're going to be discussing the world of Public Enemy as it grows and evolves. Chuck D has always been the voice and Flavor Flav the face. Chuck D's lyrics and insane vocal presence were always propelled by Flav's wild ad-libs in his flair. During the Drink Champs episode, Chuck D talks about running into NWA backstage at a show really early, and they were all wearing clocks. That's like how fucking influential PE were. They were influencing everyone, man. Imagine getting up on stage NWA and they got clocks on. Like, that's crazy. So I think a good place to begin is Spectrum City, who are the pre-PE group. 
that first brought Chuck D industry attention. Hank and Keith Stockley play essential roles in the public uni- enemy universe. They form the Bomb Squad, one of the most iconic and influential production collectives in history. When Ice Cube wanted to destroy the entire start of the decade, he went straight to the Bomb Squad. Just as LL Cool J, Slick Rig, Ziggy Marley, Belbiff DeVoe had already done. And then it gets spoken about enough, I feel. I really think that he deserves so much credit for helping the East Coast sound transition into the 1990s, something the West Coast was light years ahead in. It wasn't really until the mid-90s when I feel like, and I could be wrong in this, uh, that East Coast sound gained equal footing in terms of like influencing and like creating a sound and an aesthetic. Uh, And I think that that really happened in 1994. But a lot of the work that the Bomb Squad did in the late 80s, I genuinely feel like helped that, that sound develop. 1985 to 1990, the East Coast ruled and the Bomb Squad were at the pinnacle alongside Juice Crew. Chuck D met the Stockley brothers while he was studying graphic design at Delphi University. If you know something important about Chuck D, he considers himself to be an illustrator above all else. He mentions it constantly in interviews. It indirectly led to him creating Public Enemy. Uh, Spectrum City was a DJ crew made up of the Shockley brothers, and they were in search of an MC to help them record a single. But Chuck D didn't approach Hank as a rapper. He approached him as a graphic designer. So when they first met, when Chuck D met the Bomb Squad, he was meeting them not as a rapper. He's like, yeah, I, I design. Can I do the flyers and the logos for the group? And Hank agreed. So Chuck D got to work, and it wasn't until later that Hank heard from someone else that Chuck D liked to rap. So Hank approached him after a show, asked him to hop on the mic. Chuck D agreed. Uh, he actually says something really fascinating in this interview with Stereo Gum, Chuck D. He said, that's pretty much been the storyline of my whole career in that my biggest career highlights happened when I was approached and asked to take part as opposed to me pursuing it, whether it's Public Enemy or Prophets of Rage. So Spectrum City have been working without a DJ already. Keith told Rolling Stone that they've been playing shows for a while and just letting anyone hop up on the mic. When they linked up with Chuck D, it didn't immediately result in a song. Despite them wanting to put something on wax, Chuck D was at first quite hesitant to rap. Uh, Keith told Rolling Stone, Chuck never wanted to make a record. It took two years before he decided to go. I would do beats for local artists and we put them on the radio. Chuck will tell you, yo man, we was doing stuff that people was doing back in early days, like bringing drum machines, getting down with their DJ sets. So, you know, they they did start to create a little bit of a collective feel. Even before Public Enemy, Hank claims the Bomb Squad, aka Spectrum City, were influential. He told Tape Op, we started doing stuff for the radio. Everything came from that. When we did our shows... We were the first ones to mix rap, mix rap records back to back. Then that format was adopted by Melly Mel and Mr. Magic, who then came with the rap attack. There wasn't any rap being mixed as a party thing. There were a few stations playing records, but it was never like a mixed show like you now see live, like Funkmaster Flex and things of that nature. And obviously that was hugely important all throughout Public Enemy's career. You know, as, as I said, I've listened to every fucking album repeatedly now. And honestly, man, that like early mixing rap songs together in an entertaining way that was just their fucking mo man like that was a huge part of public enemy records i don't think it gets mentioned enough honestly like they were entertainers you know and and that wasn't it was like a dj set listening to a public enemy album is fucking amazing so initially hank was not producing he was just djing so when it came time to record their first single they needed a producer so ray Velazquez, I think that's how you say his name, Velazquez, I apologize if I fucked that up, I'm terrible with names, uh, he'd been working on disco records since the late 70s and he actually signed them for the song, he gave them 10 hours of studio time and he spent the first 8 hours constructing the actual beat for Lies 
and left them two hours to just conjure up something for the B-side, which is crazy. They enlisted Tim Matteo and recorded Check Out the Radio. Lies came out on Vanguard, which was a small label helmed by Velazquez, responsible for some minor dance hits over the years. It's not a stress to say that Lies made some waves. Spectrum City had already expanded their influence through their college radio show, one they claimed had reached the rap attack and influenced it. So Chuck D was the biggest unknown on the whole record, really, which sounds crazy now. If you look back in time, you're like, Chuck D's the star. But like at that time, he was the unknown. He hadn't built up any kind of buzz as an MC, so much so that Spectrum City hired him as a fucking graphic designer before they even knew he rapped. But Chuck D was the draw card of that song. And because they had their radio station, they could propel it out across campuses. Hank said that the feedback was incredible and the song was so far-reaching, it made it to Rick Rubin. Now, apparently, Public Enemy was so highly sought after, industry heavyweights were actually hired to help Rick Rubin ascertain Chuck D's signature. That's what Chuck D's talking about. He's like, I didn't, everyone pursued me, I didn't pursue anyone. So Public Enemy were hesitant to sign to a major label, as you can imagine. If you listen to their music, they constantly remind us they will never sell out. They've been saying that since their debut album, and I can say definitively, having listened to everything and know their story, they lived by this their entire career. It is fucking immense, it is amazing, it is fascinating, and it's a huge part of their story. This is such a long story, it's gonna like ebb and flow as it goes. But like the thing about Public Enemy is they stayed true to their values the whole way through. So very hesitant to sign to a major. Um, Chuck D told Drink Champs, when money enters the room, God leaves. And he regularly references the ills of the industry and major labels and interviews. And obviously that's the whole fucking point of their like mid to late career. So Public Enemy were not keen on signing. Rick wanted the group though. He'd been written, sorry, it's even been written that a team of industry heavyweights were actually like headhunted and brought together. It was like a razor gang. It's like, we're going to go get Chuck D's signature. Like we have to get his fucking signature. So Rick, you know, Rick really wanted it. Um, Hank had plans to work with the major label as well, just not while signed. So the group began to formulate behind the scenes. Flavor Flay, through his connection to Chuck D, was brought into the group along with Terminator X and Professor Grimm. Now, Flavor Flay began his musical journey as a multi-instrumentalist. Um, and he was actually a comedian. So it's a bit odd, man. I didn't expect that from Flay's. So Flay was a multi-instrumentalist and a comedian, and that's how he came into the group. Um, and he was building a reputation in hip-hop circles as an actual comedian, like someone who drew a crowd. He eventually worked his way up to his own show on WBAU, and he became highly sought after by Spectrum City, who were all-encompassing. They were booking legends for shows at one point. So when it became time to build a crew, an artist like Flavor Flav is perfect, like he's the draw card. Professor X was another DJ around the group, and Griff was brought in as well, and given the official title of Minister of Information. So the group was formed. Um, they would be providing the DJ work and production, the Bomb Squad. Hank told the Vibe Chamber he'd learned production during his time in the studio and was confident he could recreate the Rick Rubin sound that found success with the Beastie Boys and LL. Chuck D was the MC. Flav was a hype man and the comedian. Professor X was a very adept DJ. And Griff became the spokesperson, something that would backfire pretty intensely in 1989. We'll get into that. As Spectrum City, they provided all services, production, emceeing, gigs, shows, birthdays, roller rinks. They were putting on shows and bringing Stetsa Sonic and MC Shan into venues. That radio show, like, it was crazy. So Chuck D and Hank recorded a demo. They began to shop it. They went straight to Russell Simmons to get him to produce their debut album. He offered the alternative, go sign with Rick Rubin. 
Now, at the time, Rick was still working out of his dorm room at college, and this was the earliest of the early days of Def Jam. Even that was too label-like for the group. Chuck D was like, you, you, you have a bedroom? No, that's too much like a label. Like, it's crazy. Hank told Vibe um, that they had to be wooed to sign. So, eventually, Bill Stephanie convinced them to sign, and they did. But they only signed for a 12-inch single, and they signed to Spectrum City, not Public Enemy. Their debut single is on the label um it's public enemy number one the song that recorded chuck sorry chuck recorded to take aim at the people in his hometown he felt were criticizing him it's a diss track it's four scorching verses with Flav playing the hype man it's the perfect introduction after lies um as spectrum city two things combined to transition us from this single deal with def jam to the debut album the song hit people loved it it caused controversy Mr. Magic took offense to the track. He actually dissed it live on air during his radio show, which blew the song up even further, of course. And because Public Enemy are resourceful, they decided to use their single deal to record seven tracks. Hank told Vibe they they brought all seven to the label, who could not refuse recording the debut album. And that's the story, man. That's how they started. Like, we get their debut album. It's really not that intense, their, their story. But, like, everything that happens afterwards shows that, man, I don't know, man. The Bomb Squad is so influential in this. Having their own radio show, having a DJ crew, like, bro, they they really propelled early Public Enemy. Yeah, I think that's a good, just early lesson to gain from the genesis of this group. That, you know, considering how important and how weighty a voice Chuck D has been, since um since then has like you said uh <laughs> an illustrator first <laughs> person and uh you know he still does that um you know he's he's dropped uh multiple graphic novels uh books of his art so you know it's uh, it's, it's it's out there a few people are interested in it um and he regularly posts um you know sketches he does on on uh, you know twitter or whatever um so yeah it's interesting on that front but yeah the having knowing that you know the bomb score were kind of just the epicenter at this point um and of their genesis as a group is very fascinating of how they kind of just had multiple uh places uh, to actually speak and uh, yeah just have them have multiple mouthpieces and obviously in this case um the the longest the longest shout is always the the body of work that you produce. You could talk on you could talk on radio shows. You can you know talk in several places, all the places you want. But um, at the end of the day, we in this day and age are just going to spin the music, and that's what we get here. And I like the uh, the the uh, the rush to <laughs> no pun intended, Russell. Um, but yeah. Uh, having the rush to uh, get the get hit to get their signature is very interesting, um, and yeah, be a bomb rush to show, man. Um, you know, classic album in its own right. Um, in especially, I think in terms of just uh, what what tone it set. While while it's not the or not the you know consensus favorite out of the three that we're talking about this episode, um, it can't be denied that the this is the first crack and. It's an important one. Um, I don't find it as obviously memorable as the other two, and that's just you know simply because it doesn't have the songs that they have, right? Um, but you know, 
this this album's no slouch. This album is really no slouch for of a listen. Um, it's got that. It's so gritty. It's raw in terms of its production. The constant um, just changing of shit and the the how fluid things feel from a production standpoint. It has this just erraticism about it. Whereas you know you listen to something like. Um, uh, like the first Tribe album, for example, right, and then f- and then from then onwards, it has this, you know, Tribe production had this smoothness to it. This one, and listen to Bomb Squad records. I <laughs> I showed um, I played for my mate the other day, uh, Jacking for Beats, uh, by Ice Cube, and the beat switches are just absurd, bro. The beat switches are just absurd, um, and. Yeah, it's kind of, um, it, it says the foundation here, this album, um, you know, sophisticated bitch, mostly waste a ton, too much posses, interesting, public came number one, aforementioned, this is a classic, um, so yeah, while this doesn't have, like, you know, kind of the, uh, I guess, iconic moments that the, that the other albums have, this obviously set the foundation, this was the first, and, uh, clearly, um, garnered a enough success um and garnered enough interest um and warranted the 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 flurry of just uh people trying to get these guys attention um it definitely succeeded in that fact so you know w on that one yeah man absolutely like fucking crazy album like this one was a bit shocking to me because i haven't i haven't spun it outside of the major songs um maybe for like 20 years i reckon so if there's ever a slightly laid back public enemy record this is kind of it and it's really the first and the only one in their entire career you can kind of feel the infancy of their artistry across the board i feel like chuck d is slightly muted and a little bit more contemporary that he would ever be again flav is a bit lost on this album to me i think every single record after this flav draws your attention as soon as he arrives but on this record i feel like he gets stuck a little bit inside the production he definitely gives his most straight rap performance of their at least their early career there are multiple tracks with him here rapping you know like actual verses and as you listen to their career as they progress flav became more of like the crazy hype man like he'd jump in and then you got excited for his rap verses because you're like oh here comes flav like what's he got to say um you know so there's a couple of tracks here even goes back and forth to chuck d which i really appreciated i felt like the mixing was uh, not as great as their second album and that's a wild transition. I think the production is solid. It's very solid. I think it mimics the sound of the time very well, which is obviously what Hank was talking about in the interviews. I do enjoy the sound. The range of sounds we get to hear Chuck D on is very immense. I think the production is interesting. Public Enemy number one is a wild beat, and that really weird hook is actually quite catchy. I don't know why, but I really like it. I think a song like Raise the Roof might be the most mainstream song P has ever done mainstream sounding song is the right word it sounds like a million other mid 80s songs sophisticated bitch is a terrible song terrible song in an era of terrible songs aimed at women it's it's unlistenable i felt like those were the only major missteps right starter is a brilliant song and those little p breaks are you know they're very they're joyful like the title track right is a straight p beat it's like the repetition of mega blast the final track with terminator x just cutting it the fuck up like that's crazy this is probably the most collective base the album I think they dropped. It feels a little like they try to give everyone an equal percentage of time on this record. And, you know, this album may have lit the flu- fuse sorry, for Public Enemy's future success. 
but the size of that explosion was still yet to be determined. Like in retrospect, it's been very well received. But at the time, sources like Jeff Chang stated that critics, especially white critics, were very hesitant to embrace Chuck D's lyrical content. And this was entirely by design. So in interviews, Chuck D always maintains Public Enemy wanted to piss you off. They wanted to make music you didn't like. I do wonder, reflecting back on that, if the criticism from white critics definitely drove the change in sound from the first to the second album, which we'll talk about when we get to that. But the criticism was centered around Chuck D's lyrics. The rest of the album was praised. On the next album, and then stretching to this very day, Public Enemy stayed well away from making contemporary music. Their albums sound contemporary because they influenced so many artists who started to sound like them. They were not trying to sound like anyone else. And they were literally, we were, sorry, we were literally on this pod a few weeks ago talking about Hijack, which was the group marketed as the UK public enemy. And this was 1990. That was three years after their fucking debut. People were in other countries trying to create the next public enemy. That's how influential they were. This album was uh, supremely successful in pushing P to a wider audience, but it was their work in support of it that truly pushed into the stratosphere. So Wikipedia lists a 91 review as a source for saying that Yo Bum Rush Show was one of the fastest selling hip hop albums of the time, with some sources saying their sales didn't really pick up steam until they hit the road with Beastie Boys and started performing the album live. This pushed the album sales to gold status in a relatively short time, and it proved there was a huge market for PE to devote themselves to. And then we get their second album. Takes a niche and millions hold us back. So as you were talking, I was um I was looking at the Wikipedia for a uh uh, for Na- it takes nation minutes told us back which um fun fact was one of the first four vinyls i ever bought um i say the first four because i bought i bought four specifically for a particular reason symbolically anyway um but yeah i saw that the the, the uh, i saw a term that i just never seen before because uh it says on the wikipedia here uh, public enemy introduced a densely aggressive sound influenced by free jazz heavy funk and musique concrete um, which I've never ever heard of, um, but yeah, um, musique concrete um, is a type of music composition that utilizes recorded sounds as raw material. Um, sounds are often modified through the application of audio signal processing and tape music techniques, and may be assembled into a form of sound collage. Um, so yeah, it's a French-based thing from the forties, and then got developed in Germany at some point. Um, but yeah, musique concrete. Um, for 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 those anyway, um, but yeah, this is it for me. Um, I it's uh, it's <laughs> a a question I want to. Uh, there's a prompt I gave Ben recently, um, and I might add this to the list to be honest, because um, I I regularly just uh, try and have this back and forth in my head of like Nation of Minions by the Power. Uh, the uh, Black Planet, like, mm, don't know which one, right? Um, I think out of the bunch, I'd probably go for this one um, because there's just a lot here. Um, there's just so many moments in this album that uh, that is just unmistakable and so unique. And in this case, we can just say timeless because it has these. They 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 still talk now. They still hit now in terms of what he's, uh, in terms of what Chuck D talks about um, on these records. But 
you know, I can literally just name these tracks and we could be done, right? Bring the noise, don't believe the hype, cold lamping with flavour, louder than a bomb, Uh, she watched Channel Zero, Night the Living Basseheads, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos, Rebel Without a Pause, Prophets of Rage, which obviously lends to the supergroup that is made after, and then Pyfee Right to Fight. That's just what half the album <laughs> maybe i just maybe named half the album um but just saying names and it's you know i don't know what else to say there uh, what what else there is to say about this album it just has this um it's such a it's such a tour de force and um uh it is this one in it where they have them uh breaks of like uh them at a show in london right that's why i'm, I'm thinking that correctly right so on top of that, there you go. That's 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 the cherry on top. It's the it's the I I find the I find the application of that of them at a London show, um, just occasionally in ca- occasional moments of the album, you know, going back to that show, is very fascinating. And I wonder if that was ever applicated. Um, ever applied in a hip-hop album up to that point um, it's a rare thing anyway to just have like you know very specific moment in hip-hop history you know documented and then put onto one of the greatest albums of all time as a as kind of a uh, I don't know as a as a, as a marker or as a, or as a motif to just come back to the center of what we're doing here um but I just find that so fascinating, and uh, there's plenty of pictures that have, uh, that were documented at that time, and uh, that always fascinates me personally. Um, but yeah, I guess it's I think it's an interesting um, point to make that they picked a London show out of all the shows they probably went on that year, and this you know kind of goes without saying but it's factual that um you know public enemy are the most traveled hip-hop group of all time um they have been to the most countries the most often they've been doing it for obviously decades you know there's a reason why people call them the rolling stones of hip-hop um because of that because they constantly tour and they've toured to so many places and you know the incorporation of london again i think i feel like it's an interesting precursor to that um, to that fact that they travel so much, and uh, then, and you know, obviously, London isn't the most worldly place of all time um, as a, as a traveller. <laughs> you know what I mean, but that's clearly an important marker for them, for to the point where they put it on their second album, which just happens to be one of the greatest of all time. Um, so I just wanted to have a bit of confirmation bias on that one, partly, but yeah, just an interesting, uh, just an interesting. Uh, point to make on that front yeah man it's this it's wild it's just wild there's so many elements of this record that are fucking like class leading and influential in terms of quality success influence i think there are very few albums coming close to this record all genres i'd said the other day uh in terms of sophomore albums i think i asked who what the greatest or most influential sophomore album of all time is and, you know i think it came 14th or something crazy and I'm like, bro, this has to be in the top two or three of all time. And people were genuinely DMing me and being like, no, the Benz is more influential and more important. And I'm like, 
no it's not like why, it just, why are you getting calls for radiohead all of a sudden oh fuck? people just people say all sorts of shit in my dms bro and i'm like no the benz is not best <laughs> come on now so look as charlie said starts with 100 seconds of Flav hyping us the fuck up with screaming fans introducing one of the greatest rap performances of the 1980s bring the noise every single thing about this song is perfect to me the beat is so aggressive. At first, it feels a little rope, but with Chuck D on top of it, and that siren sound, bro, it sets the tone. Chuck D on the second verse, to me, that's one of the greatest verses in rap history. The way he packs multis into these tiny bars and hits the rhyme with the drum every time. It's like his voice becomes part of the production, and lyrically, it's fucking scorching. It's like Chuck D took one look at anyone exhibiting bigotry, or having any kind of oppression, and he set them on fire in three verses. It's incendiary. And that track blew up. It was initially on the Less Than Zero soundtrack. It was then dropped as a single from the album. It went number 56 on the R&B and hip-hop chart. Don't Believe the Hype, next song, probably the most mainstream track on the record. It blew up on the US dance chart, and in true Chuck D fashion, he uses an upbeat track to lay lyrical waste to anyone who criticized him for talking about what he talks about on the first record. Don't Believe the Hype is a crazy takedown of critics, something I genuinely feel Eminem took influence from, turning it around on them by dropping a track that they would normally praise but won't purely because they don't like the artist who dropped the track. That's the, I feel like, to me, that's the point of the song. This song is going to blow the fuck up. It's going to do very well commercially. It's going to be successful, but you're not going to like it because I'm criticizing you, not because it's a bad song or the message is wrong, just because, you know, I thought that was amazing. Cold Lamp and with Flavor is a perfect track to come after that opening to me. Flav was essential in grounding Public Enemy, I felt. He could be just as devastating as Chuck D, but he provided a light-hearted element that made it very difficult to criticize. And I'm sure that some people criticize Chuck D for being angry. And that's obviously a cop-out people use all the time. Oh, you're angry now, so we don't have to listen to you. But, you know, that's exactly what the sample at the start of Prophets of Rage is depicting. But you couldn't criticize Flay for being angry. He was too funny. He was too laid back. So when he delivered the same barbs as Chuck D, they landed in a different way, in a way that I felt like enhanced the message of the entire album. And they continued to increase the energy of the album. Apparently, while I was performing live, they saw how hyped their fans were getting. And so they attempted to match that energy on this record. A track like Mind Terrorist is such an anomaly on a mainstream rap album, but that's born of their college radio days and their understanding of their audience. It's a track that I feel like works perfectly in the scope of the album. So the goal of the album was to drop the hip-hop what's going on, drop a socially conscious album that speaks on all the ills of society in the moment, but that does it well enough commercially to get heard by as many people as possible. Now Chuck D told Antonio D'Ambrosio, he said, It Takes a Nation of Millions was an album that happened across the roads at the right place at the right time. Rap music as recorded work was just eight years in. The music was ready to break nationally in an album form as opposed to what it had been, which was a singles medium. The album was released by a small radical label called Def Jam. We laugh at that now. <laughs> radical. So radical. Def Jam was distributed by staunch old school institutions such as CBS and Columbia. We happen to find that loophole and use their distribution system to, to be able to get to the people in a brand new state of mind. We wanted to be a social critic, a community voice. We wanted everyone to know, truly understand that our music was from the people, not above the people, which I thought was great. So it took them 30 days to record. It cost around 25 grand, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it would have been decent in 1988. 
as money well spent. Everything about the album screams perfection and progression. They push the entire genre of hip-hop forward with this album. The production from the Bomb Squad is dense, it's dingy, it was mayhem at times. They had that Phil Spector wall of sound thing perfected, uh, something that was not present at all in hip-hop up until that point. The album really jumps off the page for a 1988 record. Just for how advanced it sounds, it sounds almost like it's 92, 93. Like, you know, that's not common, not common. So Chuck D came into this rec- came into his own, sorry, on this record, I felt like on a huge way. Complex actually listed Slick Rip, Slick Rip, Slick Rick as their, <laughs> as their rapper for the year for 1988. Bro, so look. I don't know, man. I, I personally think Chuck D should have been the, the rapper of the year, the best rapper alive in 1988. I love Slick Rick, don't get me wrong, but I just felt like it should have been Chuck D this year. It was a very stacked field that year. Um, It was amazing. The, the album is just fucking amazing. I don't know what else to say. Went gold within a month. Certified classic. Every single review Wiki has listed on their website gives it 100%. So it has a full mark, like an even 100 the album has endured far belong its explosive entry into the world. It's constantly referenced as one of the greatest albums of all times, or genre. As time passes, its influence and legacy only yes, seem, seems to get sorry stronger. Um, I forgot how good it was. Like, even just re-listening to it, I just forgot how good it was. Like, it's fucking amazing. You know the, the thing that I put on, and when I put it on... I immediately thought about Illmatic, which was an album that was like of the densest lyrical content, but you could still bop to it. You could still dance. It was kind of like a trick of the production and Nas's emceeing. I felt the same about this, man. Chuck D's saying wild shit. He's yelling on here. This is like very political and socially conscious, but I was bopping. I was just bopping because it's just got that energy about it. It's got a vibe. Like, bro, classic album. I can't say it highly enough. This is a special fucking album. Okay, well, guess we're heading off to Fear of a Black Planet with that one, um, Smoothie on, uh, which, again, it's just like, it's just, it's low in theory, midnight marauders kind of thing going on here, where it's just like, take your pick, you're right, <laughs> like, you're not, you can't, you can't really miss, um, it's interesting you mentioning the, uh, uh, the Marvin Gaye point, and, uh, just obviously the overall, uh, subject matter I used uh, throughout the Nation of Millions because I kind of saw Fear of a Black Planet and I feel like that was more of a it, it felt like a doubling down if anything it's just like oh good oh you like that that was oh you think that was good uh here's some more of that and they just kept they just kept doubling down on subject matter I mean even the songs uh, song names right nine one one is a joke. Welcome to the Terror Dome. Burn Hollywood, burn. Jesus Christ, that song, right? Power to the people who stole the soul. Uh, revolutionary generation. Uh, <laughs> leave this off your fucking charts. Brilliant. Um, and I, I love the the last three tracks as a sequence. It's just fucking beautiful, right? So War of thri- thri- uh, 33 and a Third. And then Final Count of the Collision Between Us and the Damned. And then obviously finishing off with Fight the Power. The, those three just are oh, so fucking smooth in from just from track to track is absolutely beautiful. And in that case, it kind of shows just the, the, even in these, how many amount of years? So that was like seven, this is, uh, uh, what's this, 1990. And then Bum Rusher Show, that was uh, 87. So in just three years, in just three years, 
these lot are coming with like the first album which was admittedly super raw um kind of made the kind of helped that in some ways of you know obviously that greed that rawness to it was kind of it kind of uh, lent to the lent to the attitude but this has this just uh, just enough polish just enough polish on it um to make it that much better and not take away from the rawness and from the subject matter and the uh and the uh the 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 production language especially right even having those last three tracks from war at 33 and a third us and the damned and then fight the power as a finish is just so powerful such a powerful finish to a freaking album man absolutely crazy um but yeah throughout it it just um you know burn hollywood burn bruv i i'm saying that still <laughs> me personally i'm saying that still i'm saying that cuz I don't want to get you loaded to that, but anyway, it's it's a it's just such a simple phrase, and I just fuck with it so heavy, um, and obviously it makes a lot of sense um, when you look at it from Ice Cube's um, point of view. Um, I actually saw a video of him telling the story of how he got on that, because um, obviously he was planning to, like you said, um, you know, get the bomb squad, and uh, and he said like at the end of the video, um, I you know. I had the best producer on the West Coast, and now I get the best producers on the East Coast. Obviously, you mentioned Dr. Dre and Bomb Squad, um, and Burn Hollywood Burn was like the first one. That was the first. That was the introduction to him on that front, and having um, Big Daddy Kane as well on there, um, as well as Chuck D. Is just um, I don't think you can find a a more um, like what's the day what's the what's the what's the modern day equivalent of that i can't even think of it i i genuinely can't just have you know someone like chuck d who's obviously one of the most unique voices of all time um in subject matter and in just pure vocals um big daddy came one of the greatest mcs of all time and then that at that point ice cube probably the uh the hottest uh, up-and-comer, shall we say. Um, that's, uh, that's putting, obviously, loosely considering, you know, Strayer Compton was Strayer Compton. But, yeah, one of the hottest um, up-and-comers on that front. So, I, I can't even I can't even think of a uh, of a modern-day equivalent. Um, it's just such a perfect mix of, of, of three, of three uh, amazing lyricists of their own right. Uh, it's just a fascinating track. Um, but, yeah, the album holds a lot to... Um, a lot to me personally in just pure message and also in uh what's the what's the term um forthrightness it's just it's just just here here it is F- foot stamp boom here it is here's the message will drop in um and you know go fuck yourself if you if you ain't about it <laughs> it's it's it's, a, it's a, such a it's such a great decoration album. Um, just lays on such a thick message for me, um, and yeah, it's just a yeah near perfect. If if anything, to be honest, I can't really. I'm trying. I, I could try and find faults in it if I wanted to, but um, I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking classic, man. Um, in the in the time between their second and third albums, the shit went into the fucking stratosphere for the bomb bomb squad who. They took over as prominent members of the group during this period. 
In the gap between their albums, they worked with Dougie Fresh, Slick Riggs, Iggy Marley, Ella Cool J, Third Bass, Peter Gabriel, Bell Biv DeVoe, That's Wild. The work that they did in this period and on Fear of a Black Planet actually convinced Ice Cube to lock in with them um, and considered one of the most iconic and influential producer rapper link-ups in history, Bomb Squad and Ice Cube. Like, this all came out, like, 1990. Like, that's crazy, man, 1990. Like, holy shit. So the group had to deal with heavy controversy during this period. Um, they fired Professor Griff for his anti-Semitic comments during an interview with Washington Times. Not going to repeat what he said, except today is about as condemnable as it could possibly be. It was their horrible term, words, if you want to read them. I don't know why you would, but you can go Google that yourself. Now, Chuck D announced that he would be fired from the group, and then bizarrely, Def Jam announced that the group had disbanded. So Chuck D told the New York Times, I never said we disbanded. I said Griff has to lose his position. But maybe even more bizarrely, Griff was then rehired before the release of the album as the Supreme Allied Chief of Community Relations, and in the interview with New York Times, the explanation of why was very interesting. So I'll read the whole section because I think it highlights an essential part of Public Enemy. Uh, Mr. Rittenhouse said Public Enemy did not intend to be divisive, but to urge self-development for the black community. The problem is the system of white world supremacy, he said. It's not white people, but the system that benefits them more than us. And the counterattack for black people is intelligence, self-sufficiency and self-development. You have to build a respect mechanism for yourself as a self-defense mechanism and make yourself as strong a person as you can possibly be. Now, that prompted an entire deep dive by Robert Christgau, who we talk about occasionally on this pod. He's the fucking, he's the Anthony Fantano of the 80s and 90s, like if you want to know. He's just like the most famous reviewer there fucking is. Uh, He's a rock star. So he wrote a piece entitled Shitstorm, which is an opinion piece based on the whole saga, which is, again, exactly like something Anthony Fantano would do is what people do. They react to these kind of things. But this was in an an actual fucking newspaper. Um, So it only really served to highlight how high P had climbed into collective consciousness. Affiliated members who give horrible interviews are enough for critics to do deep dives on the longevity of the group. Like, that's huge. So it helped that the controversy stuck at potentially the highest point for the group. In July 1989, they released Fight the Power, a song that would be going to become their most successful of all time. Number one on the US Rap Songs chart. Uh, it was their first of a run of four number one songs out of seven singles uh, on the number one on the rap chart, which is wild. It ensured that despite PE being back from the, the spotlight whilst controversy swelled, they remained at the forefront of the conversation, maybe even more so. The less the band said, the more that the press speculated. So the controversy surrounding Griff's firing and rehiring inspired a lot of lyrical content on the album, according to a Billboard interview with Chuck D. He called the album Deep and Complex, and the title was inspired by Dr. Francis Creswellsing's Color Confrontation Theory, which is a study positing white people are afraid that mixing races would mean that white people would eventually cease to exist, hence fear of a black planet. They chose to promote the album with Welcome to the Terror Dome, which opens with the legendary couplet, it got so much trouble on my mind, refuse to lose. The track has been sampled 173 times by other prominent artists, and a lot of those are lyrical interpretations of that intro. Now, Chuck D directly addresses the Griff controversy, but he also ranges widely around topics. In the first, third verse, sorry, he raps, How to fight the power cannot run and hide, but it shouldn't be suicide. In a game, a fool without the rules got a hell of a nerve to just criticize. That first couplet is one of his most underrated, I feel. I think it really captures the difficulty that PE faced 
in not only surviving the industry, but doing so in a way that allowed them to say what they needed to say without selling out or dumbing down. They managed to do it through sheer force of will and skill, but I guess the Griff controversy showed how instantaneous the switch up was. Outlets literally went from praising to condemning the group overnight, but rather than lament how precarious their situation was, they mock it during the album. They heap blame on critics and all the criticism they'd faced, whether over Griff or just over their lyrics, and the skits only served to hammer that message home. By design, it's a more funky record, and the group's production arm had set the goal of creating something a little different from their previous work, and I feel like that's what happened. It's a classic album, like, it's it's incredible. And I think it's also important to speak about everything else PE were doing around this time, because it's a huge part of their, their fame. The Bomb Squad were enlisted to create Ice Cube's debut solo album, so Chuck D told Drink Champs, P are first and foremost neutral in all matters of rap conflict, so they initially declined the collaboration, but Ice Cube was adamant he wanted the Bomb Squad sound, and I think it really did highlight the dexterity and the production side of P. Hank and Keith were DJs right up until 1986, and Hank was avoiding mostly production work, but on this man, they fucking nailed it, and the Ice Cube connection is important because it highlights how encompassing all, all encompassing, sorry, Public Enemy really were. They brought that Spectrum City feel into the collective, a group that can do anything and everything. And Chuck D speaks of the mentoring roles that PE played in Ice Cube's solo career. And this extended, of course, to Leaders of the New School. So in 1989, Leaders of the New School, who'd been performing together since the mid-80s and had already been... I didn't, I didn't know this. Bro, Leaders of the New School had been signed to Elektra. They'd been performing since the mid-80s. I had no idea about that. So they performed for PE at a talent show, and Chuck D bestowed upon Buster Rhymes his actual stage name that very day, and the Bomb Squad took the group in and started working on them. So here's a really wild story that I, I've never, I didn't know this, but I, we definitely haven't spoken about this on the pod. Um, and I only found about out about this group like not that long ago. So Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad had another young group they were working with. I don't know if Charlie knows this. A group of all white MCs. Now, for some reason... PE had two names picked out for Leaders of the New School and this other group. The two names were Leaders of the New School and Young Black Teenagers. Now, PE... Yeah, now you see where we're going with this. <laughs> now, PE... I think I've heard of this, yes. PE yes, informed... It's ringing a bell. PE informed both groups they would have to battle Ugh. for Leaders of the New School name. Right, and the loser would be given the name the Young Black Teenagers. Now, there's a lot of pressure on the group of all white teenagers. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, we have to win this, or our lives are fucking over." But they did not win. <laughs> they had to. They had to create a song for the competition. It was called "Fuck the Old School," a, a concept record designed to solidify their new title. And unfortunately, that group of white rappers lost. And they became young black teenagers. And I think we can say with no doubt whatsoever that the controversy surrounding their name did not pay off. There were there were so many think pieces written about them. I'm not going to dive into it because it's a wild story. But, like, they genuinely tried to play it off. And they're like, oh, no, our name means something. And it's like, no, it fucking doesn't. So, anyway, that was wild. Um, but, yeah, man, crazy. So, they created a label, a bomb squad called Soul. Uh, picked up some very impressive 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 credits eric b and rakim teddy riley big daddy kane naughty by nature incredible public enemy entered that decade as moguls their group albums were setting the world alight and behind the scenes they were causing controversy and expanding their influence and sound at the same time it seemed like they would move into the mid to late 90s 
as like a death row or native tongues contender or like you know a rockefeller you know something like that but it didn't really work out that way and that's what's going to be really interesting about our episode next week because we leave this episode i wanted to leave this episode specifically at what is the pinnacle for public enemy they would never it would be a decline after this it was a steep incline but a slow decline and uh i think it's gonna be interesting to talk about why that that happens so yeah man all right, uh, nice little teaser there for you, ladies and gentlemen. Nice little teaser from Ben there. Um, yeah, I I find the, I th- I think the well you mentioned earlier um, and earlier in the episodes um, in terms of their age, I feel like that is such an important part of this. Um, whereas you know you're talking about you know leaders of new school, for example, right? Starting so young, and obviously, as we know, um, and many many a hip hop artist started very young. Um, but for to be a little bit older, in the case of Chuck D, Flav, and others, right? I don't know. It it lends to this um, it lends to this uh, statesmanship that I feel like they gain during the nineties. Um, and even already at this point, as as we've just entered the nineties, and the next album is in ninety one, which we'll get to next week. But it's so interesting of just how they've already made this uh, made this aura about them of having these like you know old heads on young shoulders kind of vibe, um, and already bringing the likes of Ice Cube in, and uh, you know making connections uh, for the better. Um, and for the creative good especially um, so yeah very much look forward to next episode but that has been <laughs> I've, I've, I've put the episode title as a hashtag one as in number one because I usually do it in part I usually say like part one but motif guys you don't get it you don't get it it's fine anyway, it's different. Charles on a whole other level you guys have fucking got no idea you're not on I these levels much. levels to this oh. shit fucking levels 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 is podcast game um, and if Ben ever drops a clip of this episode, just want to say for the lighter note, there is a reason why I have this stupid background. I usually cut the lighter note out, that's all. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> just to say, uh, for, for I mean, even if you have it, if, even if you never see this, um, you can go on it, Google me if you want, um, and look at Google's brand new, um, I'm assuming for a limited time only, their Black History Month African days. living room setting, which <laughs> I have put as my background uh, for this for this episode oh and gosh. for the and for the rest of the month, because as we know, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, in the US and other countries, it is days. Black History Month. Yeah, twenty eight uh, days to days celebrate Black History. That's to it. To no celebrate more. Black History Month, and if you guys really want to do, really want to be about it. Celebrating in October as well, as we always do on this here pod. Um, but yes, shout to Google for this, um, I'm assuming, limited time only. Uh, Black History Month, this is the title of it. Black History Month, African Living Room. Uh, kitted out with um, what I'm assuming are fans on my left. And uh, a saxophone just sitting there, just chilling. I'm going to go play that in a bit. Just, you know what I mean? Just uh, do some... Do some uh, do some uh, do some riffing at ten twenty in, in the night, and uh, and obviously uh, you know whip out the trumpet maybe uh, if if I if I brass. feel the need if the creative juices start flowing you know what I mean love some brass um, so yeah just really really looking forward to um, you know just walking outside in my African home uh, African living room uh, that that Google has uh, <laughs> uh, bestowed upon me who and, thought that uh, was a good idea 
Fuck you, I don't know what you're talking about, Ben. This is a great saying. This is what I want in life. This is what I want. I want fans on my wall. I want an open door to a nice seating area right there. That's really nice. That looks uh, nice. It does look Yeah, it looks vibey. It looks really vibey. I want my trumpets on the wall. I want my saxophone just sitting there ready for me to blast. Uh, exposed col- wood columns up on the ceiling. So I'm here for this. Look, Google nailed it. This is a shame. It's just right. fucking Google me. <laughs> Crazy. They must have just hacked everyone's data and seen what kind of houses they want to live in. Yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm just really fucking with this. Um, but yeah, it's just very hilarious that Google just decided to make this as a background for uh for Black History Month. So uh, yeah, outstanding as shout always. Um, always always look forward to this time of year of uh, brands just uh, being condescended just to doing Black History Month shit just for the fucking hell of it. Um, it's great, outstanding. Ooh. But yeah, um, to 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 all those um, that acknowledge, um, well, <laughs> should acknowledge. But yes, uh, happy Black History Month, one and all. Um, in the US and other, I'm assuming other countries. I don't even know if it's an international thing. In UK just have their own. I have no idea how it works, but I know it's in the US specifically. Um, but yeah, it is that is that time of year, and uh, we shall we shall celebrate as, as always. But um, you know, we're here. We're always we're, we're always doing that doing the damn thing anyway, regardless of Black History Month or not. That's kind of the point of it, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of uh, the point. So we spread awareness now, so we don't have to do this later. You know, kind of like a believe me now, uh, listen to me now, believe me later on kind of thing. You know what I mean? Just uh, acknowledge the thing and actually adhere to it down the line. It's called progress in society. Progress. Don't know if you heard of it. Most uh, people have But yeah, anyway. We've uh, been regressing a lot lately. <laughs> we haven't really been progressing much. Hey, bro, I might be going to world. I might be going to Russia, bro. World War Three, bro. Come on, let's go. Let's go. I'm here for it. Let's oh, you're gonna get conscripted. Yeah, I might be conscripted. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, I'm not killing the, anyone the funny... if I get conscripted. That's not gonna happen, guys. <laughs> bro, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you can send me on the plane if you want. I'm just gonna just run the opposite direction. <laughs> I'm just like, bye. <laughs> you just have to shoot me. Run anywhere else. Away. Just, uh, yeah, just conscription. Uh, yeah, just conscription wouldn't work anymore. People are going to be That's like, what I'm nah, saying. it don't work. It, don't work. Work. it won't work anymore. It won't People work anymore. Like, I'm not going to do anymore. that. You're going to have to round us all Rich up. Rich people are going to dip. That. If people have the money, they're just going to immediately grab a plane wherever they can and just fucking go. I don't care where I go. I'm going somewhere different. It doesn't matter. You won't find me. Okay? It'll be that. Um, it will either be send me to jail because I'd just rather go to jail. <laughs> okay, send me to jail. Go on. Send us all to jail. Let's do that. Send us all to jail. I won't go and, to jail. And see. And it's what I said on my pod last week. We all know too much now. We all know too much. Okay, this is not, um, this is not an isolated world of, you know, of world wars past and war of any nature past, right? Where you know we're told some things in the news, and you know we don't really have the, the 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 tools to critique it in any way. So we just accept it as the status quo. But now we know too much. That's all it is. We know too much. And people, especially in this country, know the fuck too much. And to have anybody in any government in this day and age say to say to the people that we need to do this, uh-uh, uh-uh, Not our, no, no, chief, how about you do anything else? Yeah. Uh, with your money, that'd be great. With our taxpayer money, that'd be absolutely amazing. Or you can go ahead and use the uh, use the uh, 
use the use the money that you get from private companies um, that basically get paid to warmonger and uh, use that. How about how about that? How about you get how about you nationalize nationalize BAE systems? Go ahead and do that, government. That'd be great. But anyway, um, I'm saying a bunch of shit that I feel like a lot of people are just gonna be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I am <laughs> feeling that way at the moment. I'm not up on my br- current British political <laughs> situation. Head, go go head over to Declassified UK and literally just browse there for like an hour. You will find just so many informa- so much information on just um, all of that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, but yeah, man, how's 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 Ben been? Uh, we haven't we haven't checked in. Obviously, we no. had a uh, we broke our tw- two hundred fifty episode streak last week. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, so we're we're back down to one. Um, <laughs> hopefully, we'll make it to two fifty one. One week, without a, break. One week um, without a break. We went 250 weeks without a break. We're back getting to it. We're back to get those numbers back up. The road to 251 begins now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, man, that, that came about because I fucked up. So I have been uh, officially re-diagnosed with ADHD, which I had when wait. I was a child. Oh, wait, is that celebratory? It's not the best. <laughs> best thing so it's manifest- Yet another diagnosis. Yeah, I think this is number seven or something. <laughs> but like, so it's manifested in annoying ways where I find it really difficult to concentrate Um and I was just thinking about like six other things and I was unscrewing my microphone. For some reason, I was holding and I just destroyed the USB input. Like I took the whole mic apart and tried to fix it and it was just completely destroyed. And I'm like, this should not happen. Like it really wasn't a forceful thing that I did. But anyway, luckily I've got this little cute little hairy fellow here who just records everything I see now. So hopefully the vocals sound okay. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. Um listening party with benny was good uh i didn't know what co-hosting would mean i had no idea so i didn't know if i'd have to like be up on a mic if i'd have to be big and stuff up it was none of that really it was me trying to give away free passes to a bunch of because you know most of my audience is in america so like i had heaps of americans saying hey can i have a free pass and i was like yeah you can come to sydney one person even dm'd me and they were like hey what kind of situation is this like you're going to pay for my flights and my hotel and I was like, no, bro. I said, There's, there'll be some chicken wings on offer when you rock up. But aside from that, you're going to have to get yourself here. And he's like, oh, I can't make it. I'm in LA. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So anyway, my, <laughs> my job pretty much consisted oh. of getting people through the door and then drinking my weight in fucking apple juice and some liquor that they were putting in it. But it was good. It was an interesting night. It was, it was you know, I networked a little bit, which I don't enjoy doing. My friend drove me, which was really nice. It was sweet of her so I could drink um but yeah it was all right and then what else happened i got covid which is uh, i've got I've currently contracted covid so i'm quite sick at the moment uh, but i think it's a good thing because i'm going to england in two weeks to the date so in two weeks i'll be fucking flying out to london and i'm pretty stoked that i've got covid now because it's going to give me some solid antibodies for the trip um but yeah that's about it man not much else youtube's back up that's about all that's going on in my life. Not nothing crazy. The one thing I did want to say though, because I do want to, I'm videoing this, so I would probably just cut this and chuck this up on YouTube. Eminem does not need to respond to a crowdsourced diss track. Okay, Eminem does not. I did a whole video saying Eminem must respond. Benzino cooked him. Eminem has to respond. Turns out Benzino just went online. He's like, "Hey guys, come up with a cool diss track." Probably asked ChatGPT to create it. Who's Eminem going to respond to? There's no one to respond to. People are like, he has to should respond. I, should I do that right now? He has to respond. He was like, 
I'm people like ChatGPT. Yeah, go find like see if I they can come it. up with some sort of diss track for Eminem. I'm like, yeah. you can't. There's no need to respond to that. Who's he going to respond to? The twelve blokes who are in the room writing the record. Like he doesn't know who these people are. There's no one to respond to. That's a loss, man. You cannot. As as a rapper, as someone who identifies as a rapper, get up on the microphone and spit a diss track that was not written by you. That's not rap. Like, that, no one's going to reply to that. Imagine if you found out that Ether was not written by Nas. Do you think Jay-Z would have done Super Ugly? No. He would have just made fun of him and been like, oh, you didn't even write your own diss track. What a loser. Like, that's literally the problem. You can't, you got to write your own diss tracks. Holy shit. I get dissed. People write diss tracks about me. They, I'm sure they write it themselves. Like, anyway, no. So, Benzino does not need to respond. I just wanted to say that. He does not need to respond. Completely fuck the beef. The the bars were fire. They were great. But, like, people were like, why? Why should, should Eminem? Imagine if I went online right now on Twitter and just said, hey, guys, let's just crowdsource an Eminem diss track. And I get responses. I collate the best bars, put them in a diss track, and then rap it. Do you think Eminem needs to respond to me? No, I didn't come up with any of that shit. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with 4,000 individuals out in the world who came up with it. So there's no one for Eminem to respond to. So no. Benzino, that was lame. Come on, man. You gave us a cool moment, and then you took it away immediately. That's, don't crowdsource your diss tracks. Rhyme yourself, for fuck's sake. Lazy. Okay, then. There you go. Can you tell how 2000s this moment is for Ben oh, and how much he's relishing it? It's all me. You can see me like... <laughs> Lifting up, you can see the color coming back into my face. <laughs> it's the early two thousands. It's where it's at, bro. Meanwhile, yeah. Me. Meanwhile, I'm just like, I, I just don't care. I, I just, this, this, this whole thing just doesn't. Um, this whole thing does not uh, register with me at all. Um, I don't really care about people that this Eminem. Um, basically the entire internet does that anyway, so what's the point? Um, it's just, I don't, I don't recognise Benzino that hard <laughs> to give a shit. Um, so yeah, just the whole thing does, doesn't really, uh, doesn't really, uh, register with me. Okay, so I actually tried to, um, yeah, I actually tried to, uh, if they created a diss track for Eminem and ChatGPT said, sorry, I can't assist with that. Oh, no. ChatGPT doesn't Chat want GPT, the smoke. ChatGPT, Eminem stands. ChatGPT, scared of Eminem. Fucking... Scared of Eminem. Confirmed. Outstanding. Anyway, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there on that hilarious note. I love how um, just AI can do so many things and then they can't do a diss track towards Eminem. Very funny. Anyway, ladies oh and gentlemen. Oh, my God. Sorry, I so Twitter has its own AI. I don't know if you guys know about this. It's called Grok. Do they? Oh gosh. Okay. So a- adding I asked... on to adding on to how good it feels, how vindicated it is to actually not be on Twitter anymore. I'm do you want to know? Do you want to know why how they sh- have an AI, bruv? This is why? how shit fucking Twitter's AI is. I asked him to Make write a an tweet Eminem... for me. What? I asked him to write an Eminem diss track. It wrote a diss track about me. <laughs> oh boy, hip hop numbers! You're in for a roasting like a Thanksgiving turkey. Your obsession with Twenty One oh. and Pussy is so intense, you must be the love child of a broken record and a horny teenager. Your lyrical analysis is as shallow as a kiddie pool, and your idea of cooking rap TV is as weak as a vegan's protein shake. Seriously, oh you're like a wannabe statistician with a one-track mind. Your lyrical splits are more predictable than a Nicolas Cage movie marathon. 
And don't even get me started on your pussy count. Are you compensating for something or do you just have a severe case of feline fixation? Your pussy count is like a bad case of herpes. It keeps popping up and nobody wants to hear about it. So hip-hop numbers, in the wise words of Sir Mix-a-Lot, I like big numbers and I cannot lie, but yours are just a pile of lies. Get a grip and maybe try counting something more interesting, like the number of times you've been roasted by a sarcastic AI. Well, currently that's at zero, Grok, because you are one of the worst. Firstly, I didn't even ask you to diss me. I asked you to diss Eminem. Fuck Grok. So yeah, then there you go. If you want to roast me, just ask Grok. He's got the he's got the numbers. Sorry, what's the name? Grok. G R O K. Grok. Grok. Yep. Alright. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. There's some content that, for you, Charlie. On that. On on that. I honestly, bro, I'm, I'm so glad I'm off Twitter. <laughs> Why has it got an AI? <laughs> okay, anyway, fucking hell. That's just I'm only so, for the Twitter elite. Only the Twitter thinking, elite get the AI. About that for a while, aka the um, people who pay the most for subscription. Oh, lordy, Lou. All right, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Element Podcast Network. It's been Digging Digits. So, if you enjoy this episode, I would try to tell you the Fifth Element. And then, cut off hip hop numbers. Uh, part two, Public Enemy, coming next week. Hopefully, Ben doesn't break his mic again. In a fit of rage. Um, but until then, hope you all have a good week. We should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is a piece of video games by bonus points. Thank you for the music for the video to use. Socials with Fedeman here or by numbers bonus points that your music will be in the full show notes as well as names of projects for you to be listening. This has been a 5 EP in production. Thanks for spending time with us. I shall see you next time. I'm digging in the digits.